want to thank You for this exhortation to trust in You. For we know that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And that with all of our effort, it is vain for us to rise up early and stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows because you give those who trust in you sleep that they need not worry or think that it all depends on them but to rest in you. And this morning we want to thank you for the rest that we have in Jesus Christ our Savior. We thank you that we do not labor anymore to gain merit with you that we do not have to work in order to uh, gain acceptance before your throne, that such work would be impossible. But we are so grateful that you are the one who has built the house, you are the one who keeps the city, and you are the one who saves our soul. And Father, we want to take a moment just to give thanks for all the families represented here, because we know that children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And we, we praise You for giving godly families, godly mothers, godly fathers, and Lord raising up a, a seed for Your kingdom's sake through the children that are here in this room. And so Lord, we pray Your blessing upon all the families that are here as well. May each one be Christ-centered. And may you give wisdom uh, for uh, raising our children well in this wicked world. I want to thank you so much for the hey goods, Lord. And I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your blessing upon Fran and Ron. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Bless all their endeavors. I pray, Lord, for your grace and blessing for R.J. and Chandler. Thank you for how they give of themselves to serve. And we rejoice in this. Thank you. And Lord, I know that the, all, all the others who are here as well are your servants and your children, Lord. And I praise you for the living church. Father, uh, we want to bring before you our nation you know that we are a sinful people and you know the evil one seeks by his strategies to overthrow, to do harm to the gospel, to defeat the testimony of, of the saved, of those that belong to you. And Father, we pray that you would restrain evil in this country. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, draw our leaders, Lord, our president, our vice president, uh, those in Congress, those in the cabinet, Lord, those in the, our state leadership and those locally in our county and in our city. Lord, we ask that you would draw them to yourself, that they would forsake uh, their own wisdom and that they would reach for the Bible that they would read and hear your word, that they would repent of their sins, that they would be saved. And we pray, Father, that they would not follow the blindness and lies 
of this culture that is uh, that we are so immersed in lord please would you would you save and work to restrain evil in our country and father we pray for our community we pray that you would save the the people in Anniston we pray for the students at JSU Gadsden State we pray for those Lord throughout our community in Oxford and Golden Springs and all around Lord we, we ask that you'd give us hearts for sharing the gospel make us aware and give us courage so that we would be your witnesses every day help us not to turn aside from this assignment but to to speak the message clearly, to prepare ourselves well, to be able to share the gospel. Father, I pray that the living church would continue to be a testimony to the power of the gospel and that you would cause much fruit to come from that testimony. Father, I know that there are many here also uh, suffering in ways that I do not know. This deacon that uh, needs your hand of healing, Lord, I pray for him. For those that, uh, Lord, are perhaps discouraged, maybe even in depression, um, over things that are unknown to anyone but you, and yet you know the heart, Lord, would you help them, uh, as in our songs, to take refuge in the truth that you will hold us fast and to turn their eyes to you and to believe that you are able. Lord, would you uh, just cause those songs to live in their heart and that you would give them the strength that they need. Lord, we pray for those who are in financial need. And the end of the month comes so fast and there's a, Lord, you know the burdens that this can bring. Would you provide for those that are in financial need and minister to them? Make us aware, Lord, of how to help our brothers and sisters. And we pray that you would meet every need. And Lord, I know that there are many others, many other kinds of needs, marriages and um, raising children. Oh, God, you are able and so help us to trust in you and to find our refuge in you. And now, Lord, we pray that you will bless the word. That your spirit would apply it to our hearts according to our needs. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, what a blessing it is to be with you guys today. Chandler, just a blessing to see you and RJ so encouraged by that i didn't see you till i sat down but uh, uh glad to hear you guys playing this morning and then good to see many of you as well i bring you greetings from anniston bible church we're so happy to uh, have this opportunity to be here with you my wife wanted to be here she was not able you know we have a small church as well and we wear a lot of hats and um she has some key roles on Sunday morning, so, uh, but perhaps the Lord will give us an occasion before long to be able to come and, and be with you. Um, we're so grateful. Thank you for your friendship, Ron, 
and and Fran as well. We we're so grateful for uh, the friendship that we've shared over the years and the ministry that we've been able to do together. May the Lord open more doors for us to work and serve together. I like that very much. Well, if you will turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Second Thessalonians. And I'm going to switch my glasses here so you, you guys are going to be diminished in my sight here. I won't be able to actually see your faces very well. Well, I can see a little bit. Um, but uh, I need these for reading. And so uh, let's turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And does everyone have a handout? All right, very good, very good. Is, uh, is there an extra one somewhere, Ron, that I could have? I don't want to take it from anyone, but uh, but it might help me to read this. <clears throat> so I thought we'll read the text, and as we do, um, as as I read it, I want to give you uh, the uh, the five parts so that you can see the progress. And we'll go. We'll say these again uh, later as we're going through the message. So looking at Second Thessalonians two one through twelve. First, Paul encourages the suffering saints. Paul encourages the suffering saints. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive in any way. And then, number two, Paul explains the apostasy and the man of sin. Um, I think the word rebellion is here, but I think apostasy is the idea. So Paul explains the apostasy and the man of sin. For that day will not come, that is the day of the Lord, unless the rebellion or the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And that brings us to the third part. The Lord restrains the man of lawlessness. The Lord restrains the man of lawlessness. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. Number four, Christ kills the man of lawlessness. So the rest of verse eight, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And then finally, the fifth part, the Lord uses the man of lawlessness 
to expose human hatred for God. The Lord uses the man of lawlessness to expose human hatred for God. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. Now, just in case I forget, when we read in Paul's writings an expression like this, the truth, it's essentially the same as if he were saying the faith or the gospel. So the truth is the gospel. The faith is the gospel. And so he's going to use it twice here. He says, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe, there it is again, the truth, the gospel, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what a great passage. Just a reading of it um, is exhilarating for us who are Christians. You probably brought this water out for me, didn't you? I brought one myself because I I need it all the time now. Okay. Thank you so much. So I'm going to come out here. You know, this is pretty high. That's That's for some high sermons there. So let's think just a little bit about this. Um, And and I want to start by telling you a story because the goal of this sermon is to fortify the church, to fortify the church in in Christ, in, in the truth of Christ, over against all of the doomsday messages that are proclaimed by false prophets and and by the lies of our culture so that's my goal i want to fortify your faith in christ your savior strengthen you in in your position in christ and in the word of god so that you will not be led astray by a false prophet and that you will be established in the faith that the messages, the doomsday messages that are constantly assailing us, right? We, we watch the news and they are constantly assailing us, the end of the world. And, uh, uh, but for the Christian, we have hope. We, we, we do have tribulation too, but we have hope. And that's what Paul is talking about. So I think that captures the the goal that Paul has and and the goal that I have in sharing this message with you. So uh, let me me tell you a little story about Thomas Munster. So Martin Luther had a student by the name of Thomas Munster. He was teaching at the University of Wittenberg and Munster was a good student. In fact, he he had several degrees. He was from a, a wealthy family which most people that went to university were from wealthy families and so anyways uh, he listened and he was excited about sola scriptura uh, scripture alone but 
he turned away from the lessons of the gospel that um, and the reformation that Martin Luther was teaching and he began to believe that God was revealing to him through visions especially apocalyptic visions of the end time um, a, a, a fresh revelations that he, that were on par with the word of God and so he was really became more uh, involved in listening to the authority of his own experience than the authority of the word of God and and consequently uh, he began to think um, strange things you know if we depart from the word that's what happens to us we begin to think strange things and so Thomas Munster uh, he he began to believe that uh, the coming of Christ was imminent that it was the end and that God's people should be about um, fighting uh, violently to overthrow the wicked. And, of course, who were the wicked? Well, they were the nobility. Um, he, he saw the government of Germany as, as being wicked. Indeed, they, they were. Uh, but uh, it wasn't his job to overthrow them, but that's what he, seen, he saw in his vision. Anyways, he got involved with the peasants. You may remember reading about the peasants' rebellion. And he stirred up uh, by his preaching of the end times of uh, these peasants. And they were tremendously um, impoverished. These, these people really had it bad. And they certainly deserved some kind of uh, defense and protection. But this man came to them with a message that was apart from the word of God, just as many have in our own day. I, I don't know if you can remember some of, of the doomsday and, and uh, rapture date setters and that kind of thing that we have had in our own day. You remember 88 reasons that Christ will come in 1988 uh, and, uh, and many, many others held camping back in uh, 2011 or something like that, 2011 or something. Uh, that that he was had may 21 is when the lord is going to return prepare for judgment and and actually since since christ ascended into heaven and promised to return acts chapter one uh promised that he would come again probably every year since that time we have had false prophets who have come along to tell us that uh, now was the time uh, that Christ was coming, or like in this case, that Christ had already come, or that judgment had already fallen. And so uh, this is what Thomas Munster did. And in fact, um, he led 6,000 peasants into battle, uh, uh, excuse me, 7,000 7, peasants into battle against the German army, Charles V's army, and 6,000 of them died. Yeah. He told them, as they, they thought they were fighting the battle of Armageddon. They thought Christ was going to come. They were singing, come Holy Spirit. That's just true. They were singing, come Holy Spirit, as they walked into battle. And he told them, he said, I'll catch their cannonballs in my sleeves, and I'll throw them back at them. But of course, you know, he was, he was captured, tortured, and, and died also. This is, this is the effect of false doctrine. Uh, it harms the people of God. And no doubt many of these peasants were people of God, but they were led astray by a false prophet. And 
this was happening in the church in Thessalonica as well. And so let's think about this, uh, this first part of the message here. Number one, that Paul encourages the suffering saints. So if you look back in chapter one, let's look back to verse four. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So you see there, they, they were steadfast, but it was in the face of persecution and affliction. This was a suffering church. Verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. And listen, you, you don't have to suffer um, persecution in, in the sense that your goods are being taken, your property taken, or that you are being tortured or jailed to suffer um, the pain, the hurt of being in a culture that hates God is, uh, is an experience that every believer has. And it is part of the way that we suffer. You, you are being persecuted. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You are being persecuted by uh, this world, e even though for some it is more aggressive than in others, but you are standing against the tide. And these guys were too, and they were in pain because of it. But he says, he says, uh, God considers, verse 6, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So this church was suffering because they were being persecuted. And their persecution was... Um, was doubled because they had false teachers coming along saying, well, don't you know what this is? The day of the Lord has already come. This is God's wrath. And, and we're all enduring this uh, God's wrath at this time. And so that's why when we look at the first few verses there, we see Paul's encouragement to them. He actually says to them two things, but let's look at it. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 1 of chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Paul is actually taught on these two things. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. In fact, if you look at verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And not only that, but he also wrote to them. 
about these things. So if, if you turn back just a page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, <clears throat> let's look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that they may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe the gospel, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, when he returns, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And of course, fallen asleep here means that they have died. Listen to it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, this is no secret rapture that's taking place here. This is a wake-up uh, to the whole world when he returns. He, he descends from heaven with a cry of command, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, so he's going to bring with him those who have died. They're coming from heaven, from paradise, and, and they're, they're in the air. And the Lord is going to shout and sound the trumpet. The dead in Christ, the bodies of those saints that are with him, will be raised and glorified, reunited with their spirits. And, and then we who are alive and remain will be raptured, will be caught up together with them. See, this is what Paul was talking about. He says, concerning our being gathered unto him in 2 Thessalonians 2. He says, we're going to be gathered uh, with them, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, to encourage one another with these words. But notice right after that, and I, I don't think this is necessarily um, trying to give you a chronology I think these two passages could be taken um, to be happening at the same time. But now he's going to tell you about the day of the Lord. And let me just say, I, I can't really tell you a lot about the day of the Lord in this sermon. But the day of the Lord is a complex event. I say a complex event because it includes both God's judgment on the wicked is the great tribulation or the great distress that he's going to bring upon the nations. And, and in fact, believers may suffer in some of that, but he says that it, it also includes their, their relief. You remember Paul talked about that. Um, they're being protected. They're being gathered and, and so forth. So it includes a lot of the end time events that are spoken of by our Lord and by the prophets as well. So the day of the Lord is a, a large event. It's complex. And here he's going to speak of it. And you'll notice that he speaks especially of 
the coming of God's judgment on unbelievers, just like he did in chapter 1 of, of 2 Thessalonians. So he says here, I hope you, you're willing to stick with me here as we walk through these passages. It's just so important that we uh, think about these things. And how often do we get to think about them, right? Uh, so chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have, uh, to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that, there it is, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, spiritually, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him and once again therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing so the apostle paul has already given them a lot of excellent instruction regarding the lord's return and these two subjects that have been called into question by false teachers who are saying that that they have a message from paul that this is a pauline to, uh, we got a letter from him and uh, this is some new stuff that we're telling you. The day of the Lord has already come. And so Paul is addressing that and he's encouraging the church because they're suffering outwardly from persecution. They're suffering inwardly from these false prophets. And how does he encourage them? He tells them, verse 2, of uh, the, uh, back in 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2, don't be disturbed. Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. You know, um, if I watch the news, I have, to, I have to settle down a little bit because it's so distressing to hear those kinds of things. And he tells them, he's telling us as Christians, don't you be disturbed by all of the things, the announcements, all of the doomsday, all of the fears that are, they, you know, in, in fact, it seems like that, uh, that media, uh, that they're fear mongers trying to stir up. It's one of the ways I think they gain a, a viewership is by stirring up uh, fears in people. And believers are not to respond to that. Um, so don't be disturbed. Verse 3 let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived. Don't be disturbed. Don't be deceived. And how are they going to not be disturbed and not be deceived? Because he has spoken the word of God to them. I told you these things. Do you remember when I was with you? I told you these things. We read where he told them those things. And uh, if you look at verse 15 in this chapter, not part of our text, but notice what he says here. 
So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So he says, look, stand firm. This is how you're going to stand firm. This is the, where stability comes from, is by your taking time to be with God in his word. As you meditate in God's word, as you study and you're thinking God's thoughts by reading his word, you are fortified spiritually against all of the false messages that are constantly bombarding us, you see. And so that's what he is seeking to do. So he tells them uh, one more time, verse 15, stand firm, brothers, hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So hold on to the Bible, hold on to the truth, and, and God will hold you fast. Now, I know I took a lot of time to get that first point out there, a lot of background to give you. I'll try to pick up the pace a little bit now as we, we go, <laughs> as, we, as we move on. So um, I, I do have uh, one other application I'd like to mention. So the Bible tells us not to be carried about by every wind of doctrine. Uh, so the winds are blowing. So Ephesians 4, don't be carried about by every wind of doctrine, but be established in the faith so that you are, are not moved away and that's what Paul uh, wants for them here some Christians are like driftwood and you throw it in the water and they are just carried they're just carried by whatever comes along but we're to grow up in Christ to be stable and to have our minds settled and set upon the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints the gospel that saves us. So God's word stabilizes us and it gives us discernment. So when the Thomas Munsters come along, we can say, no, that's not true. That's not what Paul told us. That's not what Jesus taught us. So that brings me to number two. Paul explains the apostasy and the man of sin. Now he says here that one reason he can say that the day of the Lord is not present, that God's wrath isn't rolling out, that these bad things that happen are not part of this end-time event where God begins to afflict the nations. Now, God's wrath is there. It's, it's revealed even now, but that's, it has a special moment of revelation that the Bible teaches us about, the day of the Lord. And he says, we know that this isn't the day of the Lord because... Two things need to happen. One, the apostasy, and the other is the revelation of the man of sin. So notice it in verse 3 after the first sentence there. For that day will not come unless the rebellion or the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now these two things, the apostasy where... The confessing church cast off faith, turns away. That there is, we live in a time that's like that, but it is going to grow. So there is a, one of the things that scripture teaches continually is a growing coldness 
a growing apostasy, a growing rejection both in the world and in the church. Now just uh, let's just think about some passages that help us to understand uh, the danger and the truth of this apostasy. So let me read a passage from Christ's own words in, in Matthew 24 and verse 10. Jesus says, and then many will fall away. Apostasia. That's, uh, that's our Greek word, apostasia. Apostasy, the falling away. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is Matthew 24 and verse 10 and 11 and verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the, the mark of a true Christian will be their perseverance in the faith. Um, that is, perseverance is the mark of a true Christian because God sustains them. It's not them that, uh, well, I'm, I'm holding on myself. No, God holds on to us, and that's the reason. So he says, and because of lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so he tells us there, there is this apostasy that is growing. Um, now, not only this passage, but I'll just mention a few others as well. And you don't have to turn there. But, uh, for instance, close to our passage in Thess Second Thessalonians is uh, in First Timothy. Just the very next book. And let's see, uh, maybe chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. In the latter times. The, the, we live in the last days. The last days began with Christ's um, resurrection and ascension. That is when the last days began. We live in the last days. And the character of the last days is an increasing character. And so in the last days, the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons and so on and so forth. He talks about uh, this situation here. And uh, we could read many such passages, but I'll read just one more in 2 Timothy. Um, well, I'll, uh, chapter 3 is one, but in chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So he says, that day is not going to come unless you see the apostasy coming first. And the apostasy is woven together with the revelation of the man of sin. The second thing that he mentions, the revelation of the man of sin. And so when he mentions the, the man of sin here, if you look <clears throat> back again at uh, 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, verse 
uh, at the close of verse 3. He says, then the man of lawlessness is revealed. So lawlessness is his character. That is the opposite of what a, a Christian is. A Christian lives for obedience to Christ. We, we call Jesus our Lord. We humble ourselves before him. The man of lawlessness, he is a man in defiance. This is the Antichrist, okay? When he is revealed, he is a man in defiance of God's law. He is in defiance of God's authority in Christ. And so he's called the man of lawlessness. And he is the son of destruction. This is the very word that's used for Judas. Very description in John 17. And the son of destruction means he is destined for destruction. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So this is the character. When, you, when this man of sin is revealed, you're going to know it because he is going to establish a global religion. And this global religion will force, not only force, but persuade all of the, the earth's religions. You know how they're out there. And uh, they, uh, they want us to all embrace one another. Huh, I wonder where that's going, you know. Um, and, and you're going to see under the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, that all these things are going to come together. He's going to create a global religion and worship for any other object or any other God is forbidden except for him. So he is a, a, a human being. He is marked by arrogance. He is energized by Satan. And he puts himself forward. In fact, he's going to take his seat in the temple of God. Uh, you notice that he says that. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And I won't turn to the passage, but you can read about it in Deuteronomy, excuse me, in Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 and 37. You can read there about how he exalts himself um, so Paul is explaining that the you should look for the apostasy and the man of sin because these will be the marks that the day of the Lord has arrived now let me just say this that uh, in in the early church under the Roman Empire Many Christians were forced uh, or given a choice that you must take a, a little pinch of incense and throw it into the fire and say, Caesar is Lord or die. And many Christians would not say Caesar is Lord because they could only say that Christ is Lord. And they looked upon this deification of the Roman emperor as being a, uh, a mark of an antichrist. This is a, the kind of thing that antichrist would do. And, and later, when the, um, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, you remember that the reformers warned that even the Pope himself is an antichrist. And I, I, I know that sounds uh, perhaps harsh. And let me say this, that there are true Christians in the Catholic Church. 
There are people who have believed the gospel that belong to Christ, um, but it is a false communion. They do not teach the gospel. They teach grace plus works. And, and so it is a false communion. And I just want to read. So this is from a book called Roman Catholicism by Lorraine Bettner. It's a classic work on uh, Catholicism. And this has to do with the claims of the papacy. When the triple crown is placed on the head of a new pope at his coronation ceremony, the ritual prescribes that the following declaration be made by the officiating cardinal. Receive the tiara adorned with three crowns and know that thou art the father of princes and kings, ruler of the world, the vicar of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what they say when they put the threefold tiara on the head of the new pope. And their catechism, the New York Catholic Catechism says, the pope takes the place of Jesus Christ on earth by divine right the Pope has supreme and full power in faith and morals over each and every pastor and flock. He is the true vicar of Christ, the head of the entire church, the father and teacher of all Christians. He is the infallible ruler, the founder of dogmas, the author of and the judge of councils, the universal ruler of truth, the arbiter of the world, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all being judged by no one, God himself on earth. And so these things uh, have been taught early on, and, and they are a reminder of, of, of what we learn that even now there are many antichrists that are in the world. Even now, um, as he says, the mystery of lawlessness is at work. So Paul explains the apostasy and the man of lawlessness. Number three, the Lord restrains the man of lawlessness. The Lord restrains the man of lawlessness. So if we read here again once more, he says, and you know, verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, I told you these, the apostasy and the man of sin, that these are related, they're woven together. Already, the mystery of lawlessness is at work in the world. and uh, But the man of sin will be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness has already worked. Only he who now restrains it will do until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. So there are m many speculations about who is the one who restrains but I, I don't believe that it can be any other than God himself, and in particular, God the Holy Spirit, who, who is sovereign, right? Who is providential. His providence means that he has a purposeful sovereignty, a purposeful sovereignty, and he has a plan for even when this wicked man of sin will be revealed. It'll be at the time that God appointed, not the time that Satan... Satan wants to get him out there. He wants to gather the world to worship himself. But it will not happen until God says, okay, it's time to happen. Until then, he restrains. And thank God he restrains. You remember that during the time of Jesus' crucifixion was the time of the power of darkness. For, for a little while, God 
took his restraining hand off of mankind. And in that moment, all they could say was crucify him, crucify him. You know, they, they were filled with bloodthirstiness and hatred for the authority of the Son of God and their defiance of God. They, they killed the Lord of glory. Of course, they didn't know what they were doing if they had understood that God was going to use this to turn it all on their heads, right? And so um, it's important for us to see those two things. So the Lord is restrains until the time. And then when he takes his hands off, it'll be the time for uh, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness to be revealed. So 1 John 2.18, he says, little children, now is the last hour okay just like paul says here that even now the mystery of lawlessness is at work now is the last hour and even as you know that antichrist is coming this is first john 2 18 even as you know that antichrist is coming even so now there are many antichrist in the world and by this uh by this you know uh, that he is coming. And he says that. And where, where do these antichrists come from? They went out from us. For they were not of us. For if they had been of us. They would continued with us. But they went out. That they might be made manifest. That they are not of us. So and and First John chapter 4. He says children believe not. Beloved believe not every spirit. For Many false prophets have gone out into the world. You remember that that uh, when uh, when the seed of the gospel is planted in the parables, that along comes the evil one and plants seed right alongside of it. So in the church, there is there is these uh, false prophets who eventually, if a church is true to the faith, they will either. They, they'll be pushed out they'll not be given a position within a church that is true to the gospel and so the man of lawlessness will be revealed but not until the Lord's timing number four Christ executes the man of lawlessness my shortest point so verse eight and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming so two things here one is the word of god the word of christ right isaiah 11 and verse 4 that he will strike the wicked with the rod of his mouth revelation speaks of these things as well and so when christ returns it will not be a golden age it will not be that all the Christian, everybody's become Christian. That is not what he says. That when he comes, it will be with this fiery vengeance on all those who do not believe. And he is going to strike this man who has exalted himself as God. He is going to strike him down. And so that's going to happen. And, and the Lord is going to strike him down with his word, the breath of his mouth. And with the the uh, his appearance of his coming that is the majesty and glory of christ as the exalted you know here he came he was in a manger he was dressed in swaddling clothes he was 
uh, a carpenter and he, he lived as a poor man and he was um, uh, dressed in, in rags and displayed naked upon the cross. And, uh, but when he comes, he, he is going to be in his garments of glory. And the glory of Christ will dispense, bring to nothing. So remember that. As you think about what you see happening, oh, things are so bad. Yes, they are. They are so bad. And I just don't know how it could get any worse. And I just don't know. Hey, it's all going to get worse, let me tell you. But Christ is going to bring to nothing all of, of what we see uh, as the, the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world even today. So Christ executes the man of lawlessness. Uh, maybe just remind you of uh, the song, A Mighty Fortress. I was writing some of the words down so I wouldn't forget them. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not feel, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Uh, let's see. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. And so Christ is going to bring judgment. Number five, final point, okay? You guys have been so good. And I'm sorry if I have tried your patience with the length of this sermon. The Lord uses the man of lawlessness to expose human hatred for God. So let's, let's pick up there at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. So the coming of, the, of this false messiah this will be with counterfeit miracles. False signs, powers as miracles. He's going to do all these miracles. And what is going to happen is he is going to be so persuasive that everyone is going to believe in. Here he is. Here is the one, our Savior. Here is our Messiah. Everyone who rejects the gospel is going to embrace him. These false signs, false prophets and, that accompany him, and these false miracles, all of this will deceive those who are perishing. That's what he tells us here. So he uses... God uses the man of sin to expose human hatred for the gospel. And so he says, uh, verse 10, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Despite God's message of grace, despite the person and work of Christ, they rejected, they, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11, Therefore God sends them strong delusion. They believe what is false in order that all may be condemned. It's a test. It's a test so that the true stand on one side and the, the false stand on the other. Those who embrace this wicked Messiah, wicked Antichrist as their leader receive his mark they are those who are perishing and they will be judged they did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness 
And so the hatred of the world for God is going to be exposed by, uh, through this man of sin when he appears. People are going to love him. They're just going to love him. Oh, yeah. And in fact, it's going to be so persuasive that if it were possible, the scripture says, even the elect would be deceived. But they won't be because that time is going to be cut short and uh, God is going to preserve his people. Well, let me just close with this one illustration. So the world, you know, people can seem so nice and they are, they're nice. N nicer sometimes than some Christians, um, unbelievers. But inwardly in every unbelieving person is a mind of hostility toward God. And we have to remember this. There's a rejection of who God is. And uh, perhaps some of you have read the book Moby Dick uh, by Herman Melville. It's a great book. Long book. Great book. And you may remember the part where Captain Ahab in his pursuit of the white whale, you know that he, he nails uh, a gold piece on the mast uh, and uh, he stirs it gets gets everybody going he has them drinking and he's stirring everybody up to uh, to the pursuit of Moby Dick and that they're going to capture the white whale he says we'll follow him we'll follow him even into hell if we have to you know and so he he's filled with us now he has encountered the white whale before and and he lost his leg so he has a, a peg leg of, of uh, ivory that he walks around and he has a little hole on the deck you know that he stands in with a peg leg and uh anyways he uh, uh he there is one person who confesses faith in christ on board starbuck starbuck is the first mate and uh he is a quaker actually and so he's the only one on the whole crew and so he 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 can see from his face that he's not in favor of this and he says are you gonna chase the white whale with me you know and uh he says, I, you know, I'll, I'll chase the white whale. I'll, I'll follow it even to death. But I, I'll do so for the business of whaling that we're involved in, not for your vengeance. And then, uh, and he says, uh, Starbuck says, isn't it foolish to take vengeance on a dumb creature that he, he just um, uh, out of instinct took your leg? And then Ahab goes into this tirade. And he says, don't you know that over the face of the normal things in the world, that they are just pasteboard mask? So in other words, the, this white whale is just a pasteboard mask. And beyond that mask is a reasoning power that directs all things. And he says, I am striking through that mask at that power that is behind that directs all things i am i am out to kill and actually what he, what he says what he what he is getting at is that he hates god god took his leg he, the whale may be may have been an agent he said or maybe he was the principal but i am out to take my vengeance now you just listen to lost people and listen, their complaints. Listen to it on the news. Their complaints. They're blaming of other things. And they're constantly blaming and pointing fingers at other people. But it is not other people. It is, it is not those things. It is not those events that they are bitter about. It is their hatred for God. 
And that is the world that we live in. And I, I just would say here, I, I've met and talked to most of you, but listen, in the world we know that people are not ready for the return of Christ. And it is our responsibility to bring the gospel to them so that they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you'd bless this word, that it might encourage every heart, that you would stabilize your people, fortify their faith, that they would not fear or be distressed by all the messages of doom or even the messengers of doom. But you would make them strong to hold fast uh, to the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.